Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Wow. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't it? We're all looking for rest. I see our community is tired. It's scurrying around hoping for a quick fix. We try entertainment and vacations and breaks from the norm, but they don't seem to restore our soul, or if it does, it's so short-lived. But Jesus has an answer, not just a quick fix. Would you like to hear what he has to say today? I think it'll encourage your heart. Let's pray. Father, we once again just come before you because we do need you. We need you every hour. We need you every moment. And, and there are times, God, that honestly we are just blind. We honestly think we can just live our lives, that we are smarter than you, we have more wisdom than you. And I just want to repent right now, God. I just want to say how wrong I am when I think like that. So would you teach us today would you, God, surround us, give us, and help us understand all that you want? We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. You know, we're going to be spending some time in Matthew 9, 10, and 11. So if you want to turn your Bibles or open your flat screens and go to that, that would be a good time to do that. And we're going to start there, and we're going to listen of some of Jesus' words. We're going to start off in Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 35. Jesus traveled throughout all the towns and villages of that area teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the field. You know, Christ looked around and saw some tired, weary, and discouraged people. This was probably not so different than what he would see today if he went walking in our neighborhoods and through our malls. His heart was broken. This is not how life was supposed to be lived. And yet that's what he saw. So Jesus was traveling around announcing the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus was not the king that they thought was coming. 
a political, an economical, and a powerful king. A king that would give them great, well, relief and make them much more comfortable. Jesus was a king who said he would restore and mend broken bodies and hearts. He would be a king who would bring order to the chaos of life, one who would truly bring some rest. He was a king who would give us significance, direction, and a reason to live. Jesus said, I am that kind of a king, not the one that you're looking for. You see, Jesus can make your life count, and you can make an impact now and for eternity. Jesus ushered the kingdom in and established a new way of being God's people. As I said, his generation, as he looked out, seemed confused and helpless and aimless and harried. Well, like a people who didn't have a shepherd. Like sheep that were just wandering around trying to get the latest and the best. Then he said something odd. He said, the harvest is ready. I look around and I see these tired people, but the harvest is ready. People are so ready for the gospel, so ready for the king. He said, you, disciples, are a solution to some of this problem. You are my harvesters. I want you to go. So look at the next verse in chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil demons and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Basically what Jesus was saying is this. He says, I look out and there are so many people discouraged. We've got good news. The king is here. The king wants to bring life. The king wants a relationship. The king wants to walk with you. He's not going to promise you an easy life or a comfortable life. But he's going to give you a life that is abundant. A life that's worthy to live. He says there's all kinds of people out there. Jesus looks out there and says they all want that. They do. The harvest is ready. They desire deeply to have that. So go. Go. Jesus told them to literally go back into their neighborhoods and share God's power and presence and wisdom and love with their friends, with their family, with their neighbors. Now let's move to Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. And you can read this later, but all the rest of chapter 10, Jesus is giving more instructions, saying, as you go, make sure you do this, make sure you go there. Here's the kind of people that you want. And then he sends them out. This is one of the few times in all the scriptures that Jesus didn't have his disciples take along with him. And so what happens in chapter 11 when Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, all of chapter 10, he went out to teach and preach in the towns throughout the region. He went out 
to talk to them. And he begins sharing the same message. The kingdom of God is here. You can follow this king. He is here to give you life, abundant life. He'll give you direction. He'll give you encouragement. He won't give you a life of ease. But you need to listen to him. And then he gets to our main passage today. The crowds are around him. He's looking out. And he gives the great invitation. And it's chapter 11, verses 28, 29, and 30. And this is what Jesus says. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus says, I see you are weary and carrying heavy loads. You folks don't look like you're enjoying life, to be quite honest. The word here, weary, literally means beat up. It's almost, it's the same kind of word that would describe a soldier that's in combat. That he's been living in the foxholes. And that he is trying to be able to, well, get the job done. Doesn't sleep very well. Doesn't eat very well. But right out there on the front lines. And he says, you guys look like that. You basically look a little bit like a mess. And you're burdened. The word here is used of cargo ships that have unbelievable amount of cargo. Overflowing. So he says you look like tired soldiers and ships that have way too much stuff in it. You don't look that good. They were tired Life was hard. Life was exhausting. And if we're honest, we are tired. And life is hard. And life is exhausting. Jesus said this, come to me. Now again, if you just read that, he's not putting his arm around them technically and saying, oh, my, my buddy. You want, want, let's just hang out. Actually, Jesus in this context is given an unbelievable, harsh command. He's saying, you know what? You guys are all tired, but you're going the wrong direction. Come to me right now. Come to me. I am your only source of hope. And if you do, you will keep getting refreshed. Not get refreshed. But your refreshment will come day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute. Come to me for soul rest, for refreshment, for restoration. Now every one of you understand the word restoration. Some of you in the context of furniture. Some of you in the context of cars. But anything that needs to be restored is usually a mess. And anybody that sees... Well, the mess has different eyes than most of us. 
You look at some cars and they're rusted out and they, well, actually look like a piece of junk. Right? But some people say, oh, not junk. This is beautiful. Let me work on it. Let me. And then after six months or six years or 16 years, all of a sudden there's this masterpiece. And say, wait, wait, wait a minute. This doesn't look anything like, well, that pile of junk I used to see. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, right now, you look in the mirror, and you're not looking so good. I came to be able to give you life, to literally restore you. Because you're tired, because you're depleted, because you're living life by yourself, you are missing out. And then he says something really odd, at least our culture, all right? He says, take or lift up from the ground and put my yoke on. Now, they all knew what a yoke was. And, and to be quite honest, the passage that I read right in the beginning came from the message version. And it's an unbelievable way to look at this text. But in the message version, it doesn't even mention a yoke. And the reason is, is that the translators look at that and they say, we don't have a clue what a yoke is. So I'd like to share with you a little bit more about what a yoke is. As many of you know, I'm a whole lot more familiar with horses than I am of oxen. And I had a chance up at Silver Birch during my younger years to actually be the head wrangler and and work with horses for about five years. And one of the things that I did up there was literally break horses. And one of the tasks that the wranglers had was to be able to develop teams. And what we learned very quickly in teams of horses is that there always has to be a leader. So whether you see two horses or four horses or 24 horses pulling a cart or a sleigh or any of those things, there are a lot of follower horses. There is one lead horse. That lead horse is the one that sets the pace. That lead horse is the one that knows when to turn, when to stop, when to do everything, as long as every one of those other horses are the ones who look to the lead horse, everything is fine. Now again, some of you, you look at this, and and this, uh, it's just a little bit different, but this is the collar for the horse. And you would put this baby on, and this horse would pull a wagon or a sleigh or, or any of those different things, and would be hooked up to something like this, all right? And it would pull, and this would be hooked to part of a double yoke that again, or however many, which would be able to pull your load. Now again, if the horses are pulling together, oh, life is good. You're just going right along. Well, I'm telling you though, if there's an ordinary one, all of a sudden it looks like this, or it looks like this, 
They're fighting each other. One wants to turn. One wants to stop. And you're going like, oh, this is not going to be fun. And especially at a camp where you're having kids and, you know, the director kind of calls you up and says, what's going on at the stables? I don't know. The horses aren't cooperating so much, Dad. We'll make them and cooperate a little bit more, if you don't mind. And the problem is, is that if that happens, we've got to go back. You don't work with the lead horse. You work with the follower horse. And you help them understand that they must work together. Now, Jesus' audience probably was more familiar with oxen, okay? It's a little bit easier to understand in some way, but oxen, the same principle. A yoke would look something like this, and you would have a lead ox and a follower ox. And as long as they knew who was the lead and who was the follower Oh, my word. They could do amazing loads. So Jesus said this. Take my yoke and you put it on. I got to tell you, that does not sound like rest to me. It just doesn't. It sounds like work to me. Not only work to wear this very uncomfortable piece of jewelry... But work to be able to listen. You know what? There's not one person that's sitting out there that says, you know what? I really love to follow. You know? I really do. And, and now we may be a little bit kinder to God and say, you know what? I really do want to listen to Jesus a little bit more. But the truth is many of us live our lives uh, any way we want. And we get convicted at times. But probably the last thing you or I want to do is put this on. We don't want to do that at all. But Jesus, he says, hey, I want you to put the yoke on. You see, you're weary, you're burdened, you're doing life alone. Life is hard, but it's better together. You see, if we look at this yoke one way, we see it as very restrictive. If we see it through Christ's lens, a yoke is not restrictive, it's empowering. Jesus said this, learn from me. Let me teach you. I'm a humble, gentle teacher. Now again, because we didn't grow up in the first century, we may not understand. But this is exactly the opposite of what the Pharisees were doing. You see, Jesus was comparing his yoke to the yoke of the Pharisees. In fact, Jesus would often lash out at the Pharisees. And if you want to mark this down in your notes, especially in Matthew 23, where he says, you want to know what I have a problem with you Pharisees? You keep adding on loads, and you keep making people do things that they oughtn't need to do. You make life really hard, and people go home really tired, and you don't get the Bible, and you don't understand the kingdom. And so Jesus said, I have an alternative. Instead of that really heavy yoke that none of you are able to actually put on and do, 
My yoke is easy. It will make the burden light. If you look at that last part, it again doesn't make a lot of sense. But literally what Jesus was saying this is that my yoke is easy to put on. And my burden is light because we are walking and doing life together. This was unbelievable good news 2,000 years ago, and it is unbelievably good news today. Jesus is saying this, I know you're tired, I know you're weary, but for the most part, you walk by yourself, you think all the things by yourself, you're not letting me join you, you're not living with me, you're pulling the load yourself, and at the end of the night, no wonder you crawl into bed. What I want you to do, hey, put it on. I'm going to walk with you. We're going to do life together. And it's going to look different. But as I was going through this, I honestly think that we probably need to understand rest differently than we do today. Rest in some ways means we're in Mexico on a beach, having a certain drink, and watching the waves come in. Actually, that's nice. You know, I mean, we could go tomorrow, and I bet everyone really enjoy themselves. But that's not rest. It's different. You may have some of your soul restored, but not for very long. You see, the Israelites understood rest in light of their history. God had promised rest after slavery, after they've been slaves for 4,000 years. Excuse me. For 4,000 years ago, they understood that God had promised the Israelites rest after they've been enslaved for hundreds of years. So many of you know this story that, that after Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt, they stood in a place called Kadesh Barnea. And you find this in Numbers 13 and 14. And there was a river there, and, and Moses sent out some spies. And the spies came back, and God said, I want you to go take the land. This is a land filled with milk and honey. This is a land that's going to give you unbelievable bounty. I want you to trust me. And I want you to move. And I want you to go. Well, as you know the story, they sent out the spies and ten of them didn't come back with very good reports. Two of them did. They all mentioned that there were walled cities. They all mentioned there were giants. They all mentioned that there's a lot of mean people over there, and I don't think we ought to go. Two of them. Two of them said, yeah, they are the walled cities. And you know, there are giants. They are unbelievably big. I can't even begin to describe to you how big these giants are. 
but we've got God. It's a way different picture. I want you to go possess this land. I want you to rest in me. This is a promise. But the land looks scary. They chose not to go into the land at that time. Can you turn with me in the book of Hebrews? It's near the end of your New Testaments. In Hebrews chapter 3, I'm going to start reading at verse 7. But this promise of rest is not new to the people of Israel. And the author of Hebrews reminds the people about rest. And he says this. He says, today when you hear his heart, when you, when you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I, and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Now, if you mark your Bibles, I'm going to read just a little bit more. But they, the word rest comes up a lot. And, and there's really two definitions right in this scripture. The first rest that he's talking about is Canaan. And maybe you want to mark that down. Um, it's just important as we read through this because rest is not always going to mean Canaan right here or the promised land. Verse 12. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other while it's still today that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in everything that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as Israel did when they rebelled. And who was it who rebelled against God? Even though they heard his voice, wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it those who have sinned, whose corpses lie in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took the oath that they would never enter his rest, Canaan? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? Look at verse 19. So we see that because of their unbelief or their doubt, they were not able to enter the rest. So the children of Israel flat out said, I don't believe you, God. I'm not going to enter the land. And I'm not going to trust or obey you. They thought they were smarter than God. Now let me just paint this picture for you that Canaan's rest was not easy street. It was a call to adventurous living with God. God promised rest, but it was his presence in the midst of walled cities and giants. That's what he called the people to. He called the people, walk with me, I will give you abundant life. This is amazing. But I'm letting you know that it is not going to be easy street. 
most of you know in, in Joshua, when they finally did listen, their first obstacle was Jericho, an impregnable city. No one thought that they would be able to conquer Jericho. And that's what the spies saw. And yet God did an amazing thing. He just said, listen to me. Listen to me. And I will take care of the details. But Israel missed out. They chose the desert. But look at Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1. God's promise of entering his rest, and I would put there, if you're marking your Bibles, life with God. It switches right here. But God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. The promise of rest or life with God, the author of Hebrews says, is right here. It's available for everyone in this sanctuary. We can't miss it like the Hebrews missed it. In fact, the author says this, tremble with fear because some of you, some of us, may choose the desert rather than abundant living with God. Shake. Do you understand what is being offered to you? Shake with fear. Tremble. Do you understand that it's really easy to miss? Look at verse 6. So God's rest, living with God, is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God sent another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. The promise is still there. I want you to enjoy rest. I want you to enjoy abundant living. But I want you to know that in life today, there's going to be giants and walled cities. So I'm not promising you paradise. What I'm promising you is that I will walk with you in life. You need to listen to me. You need to respond to me. You need to turn when I tell you to turn. I will give you strength. I will give you power. I will give you perspective. This is an unbelievable promise. And then verse 11, chapter 4. So let us do our best. Or in some of your versions, let us work like crazy to enter that rest, which sounds weird. How do I work hard to enter rest? You're working hard to yoke up with our God, to listen to our God, to submit, with our, to, submit to our God. Look at this warning. But if we disobey God, if we choose not to be yoked. I added that. Okay? As people of Israel, we will fail. We will 
fail. Working hard is making sure you don't harden your heart. Working hard is listening and obeying. Working hard is spending time with our Lord. You see, each one of us, we need rest. We need to be restored. We need to live life with the King. Now, interesting, in our original passage back in Matthew 11, if you would continue to read, starting in Matthew 12, Jesus starts off saying, or or ends up in chapter 11, say, hey, come to me. I want to give you rest. Take my yoke. I want to relieve your burden. And then in chapter 12, starting at verse 1, he starts teaching on the Sabbath, the rest that each one of us can enjoy. Let me ask you a question. Would you respond to Christ's invitation today? You know, it's available today. It's available to to come to Jesus and to live life with the King. He invites every one of us into a relationship. He died on the cross 2,000 years ago to pay our debt so that we might be reconciled and redeemed. So that we can begin a relationship with Him by faith and be called a son and a daughter of God. And then he invites us into life together. He says, once you're a son or a daughter, as odd as this may sound, you know what I'd like you to do? Pick up that yoke. Don't live life by yourself. Come to me. Come to me. Don't just come on a Sunday. Just don't come when you're in trouble. Come every day. You need me. I'll tell you the pace that you have to go. I'll tell you when to turn. I'll tell you when to stop. Come to me. The invitation is for a deep relationship with God. The invitation is for you to live life hooked up to Jesus. It is unbelievably good news. You know, you're going to see up... Well, you you received one of these in your bulletins, and we have extra ones out there where we have a team of horses... um, pulling a wagon. And when I was teaching this last week, one of the gals in class didn't listen to me at all and drew this. Just kidding. I'm sure she listened and drew. I'm not sure. But she, we talked about connecting with God for a week. We talked how important it was for you to be yoked 
And, and although most of them were 20 and 21 and 22 years old, I shared with them, I said, do you, can you imagine if you were going to be yoked for the next 10 years at 30 and you lived life with God for the next 10 years, do you realize how wise you will be? Do you realize the choices you're going to make? And I said, absolutely. I said, you know what? In the next 10 years, you are going to be making unbelievably important decisions. Now, when you're 40 and 50 and 60, I, I know there's still important decisions, but, but if you can go back in your 20s and you recognize that there's a good chance you're going to probably pick your spouse then. You're going to pick what school you're going to go to. You're going to pick where you're going to serve. How are you going to spend your time? You're going to pick all kinds of important things, even what kind of job you're going to have. Oh, my word. Would you pick up the yoke? Would you be yoked with Jesus? And, and then I just painted a picture. What would happen in the next 20 years if you walked every single day with our God? What about for the next 30 years? You're automatically 50 years old. I know you can't even imagine that. 50 do you realize that you've walked with God this long every single day? You're hearing from Him. You're responding to Him. You're submitting to Him. All of a sudden, you are becoming more and more and more like our Lord Jesus. You treat people differently. You're kinder. You're more loving. You're an unbelievable spouse and parent and worker. Not because there's any magic. Not because you just really are getting mellow. It's because you've been yoked for 30 years. I said, what about 40 years? What about 50 years? No wonder when you walk with God for 50 years or 60 years in your yoke, all you want to do is see your Savior. I talked to a whole lot of 20-year-olds or 16-year-olds, and heaven's not so cool. I got to tell you, <laughs> just not. Like, whoa, that's really motivating. Rick Gold Streets and Mansion. I don't know what that all means. But you know what? It's not about the gold streets and it's not about the mansions. I'm just letting you know. It's about walking with an amazing God for 30 or 40 or 50 or 60. I don't know how long God gives you. But all of a sudden, it's time to shut your eyes. I, I get to go see my best friend. I've got so many limitations here. My calendar gets filled up so fast. But when I shut my eyes, I get to see Jesus. And it doesn't happen if you haven't been yoked. So the challenge is the same. I know some of you don't have 50 years left. I'm pretty sure I don't. But why not today? Bend down. Pick up your yoke. Do life with your God. 
And maybe 2017 is going to look really different. Not because of a president. Not because of a new house or a new relationship. But because you did life with Jesus. And the only way you do that, just like any other relationship, is spend time. So many of you are reading through the scriptures where, where God tenderly shouts and convicts and encourages. Some of you are in some studies. Some of you listen to podcasts. Some of you just filling in your mind. And, and some of you even now as in our celebration times are listening to God differently. We're going to spend some time in just a moment listening to God. Because we're really, really good at doing. We're not really good at listening. And maybe there's got to be some conviction that's going to happen. And maybe there's some confession that's going to happen. Maybe there's going to... Well, I don't know what God's going to do. But let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you that you love us and want a relationship with us and you want to do life with us. Father, if we're honest, that is crazy. Because so much of the time we don't want the yoke. We don't want to listen to you. We don't want to spend time with you. We see it as a burden. So we just do life alone. And God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Lord, today, would you show us the importance of being yoked with you? We pray this in your name. Amen.